listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. When it comes to this life, the only life that you and I will ever live this side of eternity, it is imperative to keep the main thing the main thing. You and I must keep the main thing the main thing, or with the passage of time, there are other things that will creep in, crowd out the main thing, and you can begin, I can begin to do secondary things, things that are a distant second to God's number one priority in each and every life of a Christ follower. And the important thing, the imperative thing in your life and mine, the thing that must remain the main thing is the glory of God, the agenda of God. The glory of God, the kingdom agenda of God must be central to your life, must be central to your family. It must be central to the life of a church family. And you have to be very intentional. I have to be very intentional. We must be very intentional to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. Now we're going to jump into Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 38. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 38. But before we get there, we're going to look at the context in which Acts chapter two takes place. There is a context of Acts chapter two that helps us understand the significance of what we're going to look at in Acts chapter two. And it goes back to Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission. These are the marching orders of Jesus for the church, for anybody and everybody who has given their life to Jesus Christ. It's very clear the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe not some of the things that Jesus commanded, but everything that Jesus commanded. It's about replication. It's about reproducing yourself in the lives of other people. That is the Great Commission in a nutshell. So the question becomes this. The question is this. How are we to fulfill the Great Commission? If you recall, Jesus tells them in Acts chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will be transformed. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But they were not yet qualified to go and to preach the gospel. They needed the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit becomes the change agent in their lives, which then enables them to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, as we're going to see, in such a way that they become effective change agents. They become convincing witnesses about the identity of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. So the question is, how is this gospel most effectively communicated? 
How is it that this great commission, which is also a commandment to make disciples, how is it that this is most effectively accomplished? Well, we go to John chapter 16, the last verse in John chapter 16. Turn with me, John 16, 33, and then we're going to look at all of chapter 17. John 16, 33 says this, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was not just a mere mortal. He wasn't just human. He is eternal. God in the flesh. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. If you want to understand what was on the heart, the mind of Jesus, before he went to the cross, this is where it's found. This is the passion at a heart, mind, mission, vision level of Jesus Christ. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart. That's what that means. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now pay attention to this next section. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus' last lengthy prayer recorded in the scriptures, what do we find him doing? He's passionate that the apostles and the believers in his day would be unified, that they would be one, that they would be a community of unity. And then he's also praying for those who would believe the message of the gospel, that they would come to understand the truth about who Jesus is and the truth of forgiveness of sins, salvation found in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which is about to be completed here in John's gospel as a direct result of the preaching and the teaching of the apostles. And he's praying that they would be Unified, that they would be a community of unity. Look with me more closely again at verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, meaning the believers in his day and the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a direct correlation between effective evangelism and unity. Direct correlation between effective evangelism and how convinced people are about the identity and the works of Jesus in proportion to the unity of those of us who are trying to make that message known. We have divorced those two and are very individualistic independent society in which we live, but God has not divorced them. They are just as important today, unity and effective evangelism as they were when Jesus prayed them here, as recorded in John 17. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. This really needs to be clear that the agenda of God the Father is the agenda of the Son. The agenda of the Holy Spirit is the agenda of the Father. They're all unified at a heart, mind, mission level. Jesus didn't go off and start his own parachurch ministry. He didn't go off and start his own ministry. He just got done praying about how everything that he taught, everything he said was exactly what the Father gave to him to say. And that's what he taught the apostles and the believers in his day. They had that kind of unity. They continue to have that unity. They always had that kind of unity. And now what Jesus is praying is that not only would the apostles and the believers in his day have that kind of unity, but also the converts, those who believe in who he is. As a result of the preaching of the apostles and the community of unity that would be created on the day of Pentecost, that that community would be that unified because Jesus knows something about the importance of unity that we would do well to take to heart. 
People come to understand who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel in proportion to how unified God's people are. Why do you think the family is under attack these days, Christian families? Why do you think the church is under attack these days? Why do you think you're under attack these days? Why was Jesus praying that they would be protected from the evil one? Father, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you help them to withstand the attacks of the evil one. Because if you are about the main thing, which is the glory of God and the kingdom agenda of God, you will be opposed by the devil. And one of the primary ways that you will be opposed is in the area of unity. Because the devil knows that as unity goes, so goes the ability of the community of God's people to convince people who are not yet part of that community that Jesus is the promised, anointed, and appointed Messiah. And he does everything he can, the devil does everything he can to create disunity in a marriage, disunity within the community of God's people Because if he can divide, he will conquer. He will hinder the ability of that community to effectively proclaim the gospel. We have to be very careful that we don't think that it is just through the proclamation of the Bible, just the proclamation of the gospel that people become convinced. It also has to do, it also has to deal with how we are living the gospel that we are proclaiming. There's a direct correlation between how we are living and whether or not people are convinced about the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 23 in John 17, I in them and you in me, unity, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. People become convinced about the love of God in proportion to how we love each other and how we are unified or disunified. It's entirely possible for us to shoot ourselves in the foot in our witness for Christ Even if our theology might be right on paper, the theology that convinces people about the identity of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, the idea of forgiveness of every single one of your sins is whether or not we are unified. And one of the reasons why we are not unified is because oftentimes, unfortunately, we don't put into practice, practically speaking, the theology that we want others to embrace. In Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul is writing this probably from a prison cell, probably while being a prisoner in Rome. And he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, which by the way is spirit baptism, being baptized in the body of Christ. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This idea is presented in the Bible again and again. The central importance, the imperative nature of unity 
as it affects our ability to convince other people about the truth of this Bible that we say we believe. People become convinced about the identity of Jesus and the authenticity of the gospel message, which is the forgiveness of every single one of our sins in proportion to whether or not they see us walking in a manner worthy of the calling which we have received. This is the practical theology of unity. And we in the body of Christ would do well. We would serve the Lord with great humility and at the same time make him proud. If we were to rediscover or perhaps in some instances discover for the very first time the importance of unity as it comes to our witness for Christ. This is not only a theology that's presented in the New Testament, it's throughout the whole Bible. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, down on Aaron's beard, the priest who served in the tabernacle, down on the collar of his robes. Unity is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there, where there is unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Psalm 133, three verses long, a huge theology of unity. If we want God's blessing, unity has to be something that we get serious about in our individual lives, in our families, and definitely within the body of Christ. He likens unity to be the prerequisite for service in the tabernacle. Aaron couldn't minister in that tabernacle in Psalm 133. Unity, like precious oil poured on the head, down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. Aaron had to be anointed with the sacred anointing oil before he could minister in the tabernacle. Unity is a prerequisite before we can expect to effectively glorify God and minister within the body of Christ and in our families and be able to give God glory. Mount Hermon, green with vegetation because of the dew that forms on Mount Hermon. In contrast to Mount Zion, dusty, infertile. But if you could take the water because of the dew that naturally appears on Mount Hermon and somehow transport it to Mount Zion and irrigate it, it would transform Mount Zion. What was once dusty and infertile would now begin to produce abundant crops. That's what unity does to an individual life within a family, certainly within the body of Christ. And now you say to yourself, what does this have to do with Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 38, and what does this have to do with my life? It has everything to do with your life and the church today, because what we see in Acts chapter two is the very first fulfillment of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. We see them operating with such unity, that they really are a community of unity caught up in the identity of Jesus. They're walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which they were called, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. They're not just preaching the gospel. They're not just teaching the gospel. They are actually living the gospel, serious about Jesus, to such an extent that the Lord's kingdom has now come to earth. They've recognized Jesus as their savior, the anointed and the appointed one sent by almighty God. And they're putting their money 
As we'll see in later chapters in the book of Acts, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're putting their lifestyles, they're adjusting their lifestyles to fall into alignment with the gospel that they have been sent to preach and to teach. Look with me in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all of those who are far off to all the Lord our God will call to himself. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. They repented and they were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe or the fear of God came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a community of unity, serious about the identity of Jesus Christ. And you get the impression very clearly that this is a fulfillment of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. I pray that they might be one just as you and I are one, Father. Then the world will know. Then the world will understand that they are loved by you as I am loved by you. And so it's not a coincidence This is the context in which Acts chapter two takes place. You know, we value unity here as a church. Any church worth its salt has to value the imperative significance of unity. Don't just give lip service to unity. So there's a practical theology of unity. Otherwise, a church, a ministry can be shooting itself in its own foot. You might be doing a lot of things as a family prioritizing a lot of things as a family, you could be suffering the absence of God's blessing if you're not prioritizing what the Bible says must be prioritized, which is unity. Many of the difficulties we experience in life are because of the absence of unity. The absence of unity is often the reason why we don't experience the outpouring of the blessing of God that we otherwise would experience in our individual lives, you've got to make sure that you are a catalyst for unity, not a train wreck. You've got to make sure that you are intentional about being a catalyst for unity. Are you that type of a person where you are known as being somebody who is a catalyst for unity? By the way, unity is a byproduct of something else, humility. The world does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. We're living in a day and an age where our culture wants us to think that it's me, myself, and I. 
If all of the universe revolves around the sun, the S-O-N, if everything that was created came into existence by God himself through the sun, as the scriptures make clear, the S-O-N, if everything came into existence because God spoke it through his son, then you would do well, I would do well. We would be wise to humble ourselves before God and to make sure that Jesus is the center of our lives. And what we're seeing in Acts chapter two is these people who have walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, becoming effective witnesses for Jesus, 3,000 people now coming to know as a direct result of their testimony, Peter's message, and they're now serious about this Jesus thing. They're serious about the person and the works of Jesus. And lo and behold, God means what he says, says what he means. That there's a direct correlation between people becoming convinced about the identity of Jesus and the truth of the gospel and the unity of the community. This is one of the reasons why we prioritize partnership at our church. We don't call it membership because we're not interested in how many members we have. There's never in the Bible anywhere this presentation of what's in it for me. And that would be a membership mentality. What's in it for me? No, the attitude of a maturing believer is what's in it for God? How can I partner with you, Lord God, in your kingdom work and your kingdom agenda? God is moving and God wants his people to be moving with him. That's why we intentionally call it partnership. Why do we call it partnership? Because we want you to understand from the very beginning that we want you to replicate and we want to replicate together. We want to be a community of unity. We want to be a community that is unified together, moving in the same direction, having the same vision, the mission, the priorities that God himself has that he's given to us through his word. And we don't want to assume things. You know what happens when you assume? When we assume we make something out of you and me, but we certainly don't make disciples. We don't want to assume that we're on the same page. Listen, we can all have the same theology in black and white about all the major beliefs of the Christian faith, but if we don't have our practical theology down about unity and the humility that is a prerequisite for unity, listen, most of the problems that we have in the church, most of the problems that any church has, are we listening are due not to the fact that we have disagreements over our mental theology about the identity of Jesus, about the accuracy of the Bible, about the authority of the Bible, and all of those things that most churches could swap in terms of their doctrinal statements. Most of the problems that are experienced in a church are due to a lack of humility over whose kingdom we're going to build, over the agenda of God, and therefore we don't have unity And you know what goes when there's not humility and there's not unity? The blessing of Almighty God. Stagnation is often the byproduct, spiritually speaking, it is the byproduct of something much deeper. A lack of humility, a lack of unity. So you better believe it. We want you to go through partnerships so that we understand each other. More importantly, so that we understand God, what we're trying to do for the glory of God. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is always and only the glory of God and his kingdom agenda. This is why we have a thorough training process and a screening process for anybody who becomes an elder at the church. This is why we have a thorough training and screening process for anybody who becomes a deacon at the church. 
This is why we have a thorough training and screening process for anybody who becomes a pastor of the church, for anybody who becomes a janitor of the church, for anybody who becomes a facilitator in a life group, our home group communities where we are putting the Bible that we know into practice in a smaller group setting that should be, by nature, replicating if we're putting the Word of God into practice. And so... Humility and unity have everything to do with what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2. This is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening in a context. Jesus has prayed, may they be one just as I am one with the Father. Then the world will actually believe that I am the anointed and appointed one of the Father. And we would do well in our own lives to understand, to regain to rediscover, perhaps to discover for the very first time, the central importance of unity in convincing people about the identity of Jesus. We don't budge. We won't budge. We can't budge over how uncompromising we are over the importance of unity as a church and within each of the ministries within the church. Because if we compromise on what God says must not be compromised, what we are really compromising on is the blessing of God and our ability to fulfill the very commission that is at the heart of what we should be about as a church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel effectively. Baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, understanding the role of repentance with baptism as Peter taught it and still teaches it today in Acts chapter 2. Teaching people to obey everything that I've commanded and I will be with you to the ends of of the age. This is a community of unity in Acts chapter 2. These people believe the truth about Jesus to such an extent that they are selling their possessions and giving them to anyone as he or she might have a need. You don't see 10% here at all? And if you're not already in the practice of giving at least 10%, you don't understand This idea that God so loved the world that he gave 10% of his uniquely brought forth son. It's not the way it works. God the Father gave us everything in Jesus and we should be giving our everything to Jesus. There was a recent study taken, a recent poll in which millennials especially liked the idea of socialism over capitalism because there's a desire to give to people who have needs. On the one hand, that's a really good thing, this idea of selflessness. But here in Acts chapter 2, it's not under compulsion. They're not being commanded to give. It's not happening at a reduction in the effectiveness where now you're getting pennies on the dollar because somebody's skimming from the top. 
There's tremendous efficiency here because they're caught up in the real identity of Jesus. They're convinced about it. They want this gospel to spread. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they are voluntarily giving of their possessions, voluntarily worshiping the Lord. And there were no needy people among them. And they were enjoying the favor of the people. Imagine that. Filled with joy as we see Jesus was praying in John chapter 17 that they would be filled with joy. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were likewise becoming convinced of what they had become convinced of, the identity of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. How do you know whether or not you really believe this stuff about Jesus? By whether or not you're all in for Jesus. It's good that you want to give to other people. Give to other people. You yourself, from your paycheck, go out and find people who need God's love expressed through your hands and your feet. We as a church, when you give, we need to get to that point where we are not just giving to take care of people's salaries and not just giving to pay for a building and a campus. We need to give so generously, so sacrificially, because we are so convinced in the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel that we're able to take care of the needs of people within our community because we are a community of unity as a byproduct of humility. We believe the truth about Jesus and the truth of the gospel to such an extent that we understand we cannot outgive God. Our theology needs to make it from here in our minds to our hearts to our hands and to our feet. I want to ask a question of you. I don't want to assume anything and make something out of you and something out of me that is other than a disciple. Are you hungry to build that kind of a kingdom where Jesus Christ is evident and present and moving in the midst of us? Is that something that interests you? Because that's something that interests me. More importantly, it is something that interests Almighty God. I just need to know if that's something that interests you. Because the train here has left the station and there's no turning back. We are moving forward by the grace of Almighty God in the name of our risen, resurrected, ascended Savior. We will be the kind of church that Jesus envisioned before the beginning of time, during his entire ministry on earth, while he was on the cross, after he was on the cross, after he ascended, and where he is right now. And we will not settle for anything other than keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is the glory of God and his kingdom agenda. That is what we are about. And in order to fulfill the kingdom agenda of Almighty God and to give him glory, we have to, we must discover and in some instances rediscover the central role of unity as the prerequisite for the outpouring of God's blessing and the ability to convince others of what we already know in our minds. They need to see how we're living, see that we're believing by how we are living, we are practicing the gospel, and then others too 
will come to know the truth that by the grace of God, we've come to know as well. Now, next time together, we're going to look at the four key ingredients of this community of unity. And we're going to understand how important they were to that community being unified and God blessing to such an extent that maybe we too would become convinced of how important they are, put them into practice in our own lives, in our own community right here, and then just maybe we too will experience the outpouring of God's blessing. And when we read the book of Acts, it won't be such a different thing. It won't be such a foreign book to what we are experiencing in our own community that has tremendous God-honoring biblical unity. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.